0: Have you ever said a big yes to God's direction, only to find out within months or even moments, things fall apart? We ask, what What did I miss? Did I hear Him right? Did I make a mistake? Or maybe, God, did you make a mistake? What are you doing? What in the world are you doing, Lord? Where is He in all of this? What do we do when that happens? You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall Thompson. Hi, gang, this is Colleen Swindall Thompson, Director of Reframing Ministries at Insight for Living, and the host of this show, Reframing Ministries. Helping you navigate difficult seasons, healing as stories that we share with you will help you change your perspective, giving you hope and passion for what's ahead. My guest today is Natalie Harrington. She knows exactly how you feel when life falls apart. Natalie was working as a journalist at the Today Show when God called her to a job in another country. And just as the ministry was about to be launched, an incredible accident happened and everything fell apart. Natalie, thank you for being with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome.
0: Well, for those of you who are listening, you're going to be able to hear about an incredible movement that Natalie has started called Ellipsis International. Did I pronounce that right, Natalie?
1: (laughs) Yes, you did. It's a little tricky. (laughs) It
0: is. Um, Natalie has a degree in journalism from SMU and actually was working as an intern at the Today Show when she took a trip to the Philippines that changed her entire life. And what we will be talking about today is how Natalie's organization is rescuing and bringing children um, into orphanages in other countries. Uh, Natalie, you'll be able to explain it so much better than I could. Um, (laughs) But children who specifically have been abused, abandoned, neglected, um, suffered physical and emotional trauma. Natalie's done so many incredible things that she's going to share with us and is making that available for tools for organizations and churches to implement into their missions programs and into their VBS programs and
1: in all kinds of ways. So Natalie, take it away, girl. All right. Well, thank you again for having me. And uh, you did a great job explaining that. Um, What we have created is basically a um, program that we do in the form of a camp and it's adaptable in different forms that helps kids um, work through the trauma that they've been through. And usually that are that is kids that have been um, abused, abandoned, neglected, even orphaned, and mm-hmm. just helping them work through that to ultimately meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. How in the world did this get
0: started? Because going from journalism at SMU to the Philippines and desiring to start a foundation or an organization like that. That's quite a leap. So give us the backstory on that.
1: Yes. Well, and God is so amazing that He would take us through a a journey to bring us to this point because it is uh, a big step. And if you had told me that this is what we would be doing years ago, I would have not even known where to begin. So God has definitely... Uh, you know, from when I graduated college, been planting this in my heart and teaching me what I needed to know to be ready for this. And um, so after college, I, like you said, went on my first ever international mission trip. And I thought that's all it would be. It was with the Bob Tebow Evangelistic Association. And we were preaching the gospel at schools. And then um, I had the opportunity to spend a week at their orphanage. And that's where I met. Um, this girl named Brindy. And she, I mean, you would think I met all the orphans and, you know, we would keep in touch and they would make an impact on my life. But this particular girl, um, God had something big in store um, for her life and to use her in my life. And so to kind of um, tell you the story in a nutshell, we went back and forth. Um, After that mission trip, I really felt like you know, this is what God had made me for. Because mm. like you said, I interned at the Today Show and got to see the pinnacle of what my career could be. That was my goal. And it just didn't feel right. Um, uh. And when I went on this mission trip, I felt like I was more myself than I'd ever been. Wow. So it was really an incredible eye-opening um experience before I really got deep into my career path that I was going towards. So it was so a short term. It was
0: and it was a short term mission. It wasn't something that you'd plan to stay there for a long time.
1: Correct. Yes, it it was just supposed to be three weeks and if you ask my parents back when I went on that trip, you know, they were so shocked when I came back and just told them, this is it. You know, and they're like, what do you mean? This is it. Um, <laughs> we so, just
0: paid for an education in journalism. Exactly,
1: exactly. And, you know, to answer to that, God definitely has used my degree in so many cool ways. And I just love how we can't really put, we shouldn't put God in a box. He can do so mm. much more than we could ever imagine. But this trip was three weeks. And then on that trip, I, um, you know, just felt like I was being called back and I, you um, It was just a funny way, a funny story of how I kind of got to talk to Mr. Tebow and get invited back to their orphanage for three months after that to just get a little glimpse of what a long-term type thing might feel like because that's a big stretch for a girl from, originally from Mississippi who was then in Dallas and now gonna be living in the Philippines, you know? It was just a, um, a good way to see, is this really what God had made me for? And those three months, was really when my relationship with Brindy really came became close, and uh, we became more like sisters.
0: Hmm. Wow. So what part of, you just mentioned that part of your education background, even in journalism, has made a big impact. And when you said, sometimes we got to just not put God in a box and I am very thankful he does not always tell us what's coming because it probably would blow our minds. But how did that affect what you were doing over there and your relationship with um,
1: My, It's just been amazing to, I mean, we really have to bring ourselves to a place of being open to what God wants to do. Hmm. And all through college, I, I was not truly following Jesus in a way that would allow him to be creative. And it wasn't until my senior year that I really, just before graduation, stopped and said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And that's when He was like, actually, um, I have a different plan. And so through that next year was when I went on the short-term trip and then the three-month trip was really so eye-opening. I'd never felt closer to the Lord. I'd never felt more fulfilled and really just used. I mean, we desire to make a difference in the world, and I felt like I was able to pour into these kids' lives and really be a, a big sister to them, you know, a mentor to them, and help them grow in their faith. And that kind of laid the foundation for going back and knowing that after the three months that there was something beyond that. And God didn't open, I call it, the the door for me to be there long-term immediately after that. I came back to the States and um, worked at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano and really was able to work on my leadership skills. I worked in women's ministry and God was preparing me. I knew he would send me back one day, Hmm. but it was definitely a season of preparation in that in-between.
0: So in, in coming back here, you didn't know when you were going to be going back. You just knew there was a desire planted in your heart to go back.
1: Right. I um, tried to plan a few trips, like mission trips with uh, the girls in our ministry at Prestonwood and tried to get a few of those organized and God just kept closing the door. And then mm. finally I had this thought, which of course I feel like he planted in my head, mm. um, was, I, you know, take your family, which at that time it was my mom and dad and brother and sister. And I remember sitting them down at Christmas that year and I just said, So guess what? God told me that I'm supposed to take y'all on a trip to the Philippines. And they just kind (laughs) of laughed.
0: Were they like, wait a minute, can we choose Hawaii or Tahiti? (laughs) I know.
1: And they were, it was so funny because they were like, well, that's so sweet. I wish we could, but how can we, you know, go take five people from the same budget? You know, it's just a lot of logistics. It's super far. And then to... Find a time when all five of us had the the time frame that we could go with no conflict, but I said, you know what? It was God's idea. It will work out, and I just trusted that. Wow! And it was so cool how um, six weeks before the the actual window of time where we all could go, God provided in a just supernatural way, and my family was shocked. You know, everyone was just like, "What? You know, is this serious?" And what happened? My dad was able to sell a business that he had been trying to sell for so long and, you know, it had been lingering for, I feel like, years. I I don't even know the details. Um, but it sold and that's what kind of was going to allow us to go. And so I'm like, see, I told you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys, we're going to be going. So that was six weeks before you were all planning on taking off.
1: Yes. And so we booked the flights and we went, we didn't know what this trip was really going to entail. Um, but while we were there, I got to show my family the orphanage I'd worked at. We went with an organization called Kids International Ministries and worked with some of their feeding programs and outreach ministries. And on that trip, I had the opportunity to talk to one of the directors and I just shared my heart. You know, I have this desire to help kids and in the Philippines, and I really don't know what to do about it. I I just know that God has spoken that it has something to do with the island of Mindanao. And he kind of stopped in his tracks and looked at me and he's, he was like, did I hear you correctly? <clears throat> you wanna help kids from the Philippines and in Mindanao. And he said, I've actually been praying for someone to come and start a ministry on Mindanao in de Oro for street kids. And we that were both- That is so cool in all, And my family was right there. So there was no like denying that that was God opening a door and they got to see it. And that's why he wanted me to take my family. So it was just an awesome experience.
0: What kind of obstacles did you face? Because that's really, I mean, you're stepping way out there, going to another (laughs) country, starting something you've never done before. What kind of obstacles did you face in the process of getting there?
1: Gosh, there, I mean, there are always so many obstacles and some of them felt like spiritual warfare. Some of them just felt emotional, you know, on my part, because I did um, go through times where I felt like I was letting someone down because I'm not using my degree or I was, Mm. you know, I was working in a ministry with amazing women and I was leaving them behind and all these different things that um, Satan would try to make me believe we're negative. Hmm. We're actually positive things. When someone, I re, I'll never forget my boss at the time, before I actually moved, told me, "Natalie, there's no better testimony that you could give our young single women than by leaving to move across the world to follow Jesus while you're still single." Wow. And I'll never like that spoke so much to me and and gave me so much comfort in knowing that I was truly following the Lord. And, you know, my parents of course were, thought I was, you know, kind of just ex- exploring things <laughs> for a while. Right. And, you know, on this trip, they really understood because they got to see the, just the, the need. Mm. And it really changed a lot of um, perspective about, you know, what I was doing and why I felt so strongly about this.
0: What kind of things made such an impact on them? Because here we are, I mean, obviously, Insights Ministry is around the world, but I live in the United States, and you grew up in the United States. Talk about the differences of a third-world country or a country that maybe is not as um, established or stable between that and, you know, where we live, which is, you know, very few struggle like they may struggle in the Philippines or on the streets or in Mindanao.
1: Yes, I, there's nothing like um, going to a third world country and mm. seeing the how people live. Mm. You'll learn a lot from just the simple joy that they have in the, the little things. Mm. Um, as Americans, we expect to have so much. And that was really the, the three months that I was there, that was the test to see, can I survive? Can I handle you know living somewhere where there's not always wa- running water, not always electricity? And of course, there was always the, the concern, maybe more from my parents, is the medical care okay? Are you mm. going to be safe? And honestly, the, the island of Mindanao doesn't have a very good reputation mm. in that matter. Okay. But I just felt, and I'd been there before, and I just felt God, God is, you know, if you're, people say in the center of God's will is the safest place to be. Right, And um, so it truly grew my faith, but also my parents' faith to see that, you know, in this area where it's not the the safest and not the most luxurious that, you know, there are children that make it so worth it. And, you know, there were so many times when I didn't even realize that it was such difficult um, living situation. Yeah, the kind of things that they
0: are exposed to and that they have to tolerate, I just... Blow our minds when we hear about them. Um, you came back after the three months and then you decided this is where I'm going. So, talk us through the pathway of coming from coming back here, deciding to go back there, how you put the organization together. You were with Kids International Ministries. Is mm-hmm. that where you started when you were in Mindanao or kind of fill those in?
1: Yes. So, I moved there in 2013 with Kids International Ministries, and I started out living in a small town um, called Malaybalay, and Mm -hmm. that's in the mountains of Mindanao. That's where I actually learned the language, which is called Bisaya. And I studied that language for eight months, five hours a day, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done but one of the most rewarding things at the same time, my I had a personal tutor because at that time we didn't have a um, textbook on this language. Hmm. And so I just sat with this college girl who spoke great English and we just found a way to teach me. It was very informal, um, but very um, rewarding. And people ask all the time, how did you learn the language so quickly? Yes, that and was I one just, of my questions. <laughs> I tell them, it, you know, when you have these children in the city that are waiting for you, you there's no more motivation that you need. Right. Um, I was in, a, in that mountain town so that I wouldn't be distracted by the ministry that I was going to start. And so it was a very difficult thing, but very smart to be away from. The actual kids that i would be um helping
0: well because and, i bet your heart would be so tugged you'd want to be out there you know being with them and caring for them but you kind of got to know their language
1: exactly and the i'll never forget um when i kind of passed the test i guess you would say to be fluent enough to make the move i the first day went down to the city plaza where a lot of the street kids live and that's the type of ministry we were starting and I sat on one of the park benches and just wanted to take some time to pray. Mm-hmm. And I just began praying for the the city, just for the also the people that would be watching what mm-hmm. our ministry is doing, just all, in, you know, all in. God paved the way, open doors. And I had maybe been sitting there for 10 minutes and I had these three kids walk up to me and just ask me for money. That's their natural when they see a foreigner. Give me money. Sure. And my response to them was, "Unsay Yimongalan, what's your name? And they were just Their shocked. eyes probably
0: got <laughs> huge.
1: <laughs> yes, they were shocked. And then we just began talking and they forgot what they even started talking to me about. Mm. And we just became friends. And from there, I went back every day and just brought them food. Then we went to play basketball, just building that relationship mm. with them. You know, it's interesting.
0: I came across a quote the other day and it said, children will not remember you for the material things you give them, but for the feeling that you cherished them. And I think that's That's what they returned for is being cherished. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So you started, did you start like organizing a, a time for them to meet or how did it grow?
1: Yeah. So at first it was very sporadic because they don't, street kids don't really keep up with the time, you know? Right. And um, so we, we got them to learn how to um, show up at the same time just so that we could be consistent for them. And um, before long, we when we started to get into more deep spiritual conversations, we realized that we really needed a, a space to meet together. And so we prayed and searched and finally found this um, small storefront uh, space to rent that we could bring the kids. And we didn't even know if we could get them to come, but I'll never forget the first day that we were just kind of cleaning up and praying over the place, and like five of them showed up in our new space. And that's a place where we taught them um, Bible studies. We clothed them, fed them, and it really just became um, a shelter for them to find hope and 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 love essentially
0: one of the things that we've really talked about the other day Natalie was the trauma and I looked up some things on trauma because of course living on a street or having gone through physical, emotional, sexual abuse and assaults or losing parents and the complicated grief that comes with that. I mean, there is a whole National Child Traumatic Stress Network, and it talked about early childhood trauma and then different kinds of behavioral therapies in order to help them integrate back into life. How did that process begin to unfold? Because Trauma so affects the way we learn and the way we can attend to things. I mean, that kind of evolved for you, it sounds yes. like, but what does that look like?
1: Well, it's perfect timing to ask about that because this is really the point where I started to realize that. You know, we had these kids coming every day and, you know, sharing Christ with them, and we would see progress in their lives, even for three years for a lot of them. And then they would turn um, back to their old ways. And it was more than just some addiction issues. It was more than, um, you know, them not understanding what we're sharing with them about Christ and about how he made them for a purpose. It was really just the trauma holding them back, you know, like if they had never dealt with it, then it would always be there. And Mm -hmm. And it would get triggered
0: a smell, a sight. You know, a taste, something
1: exactly triggered, and you know ultimately, we believe that they are not able to truly um, allow the Lord to take over their lives and to be present in their lives if they have this trauma it's, mm. It gets in the way, and that was our ultimate goal. you know we can't feed every child and clothe every child in the world, but we can give them the hope of of Christ. Mm. But we also have to make sure that they have the capability to internalize the gospel. Mm. And that's what we felt like trauma was was doing, was keeping us from actually penetrating their hearts and allowing them to truly understand the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus.
0: Wow. And, okay, then we have to t- go into trust because the first step of Having Christ asking him to be our Savior is trusting in what we cannot see. So, how did you exactly. bridge the trust issues?
1: Exactly. And I, I think that's why it's so important to, um, you know, build the relationship first, obviously. And you know, with our kids, we had a, a three year relationship with them first. And then with Brindy, um, I got to know her several years before she came um, to live with me actually and help me start this ministry. And really trust is the foundation. Yeah, um, And that's why we work with organizations who already have those relationships with the kids. And we just want to give them these tools and these resources to be able to, to go deeper with the kids that they love and have poured so much into. We mm. really just want to help add to um, what they're able to do with their kids and their organization.
0: So having that relationship develop over time, the consistency, providing for their basic needs of survival and clothing, I mean, just caring for them, they continued to show up and found, I can trust this person. Now, mm-hmm. when we talked before, you mentioned about getting married in 2015. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and- this this whole development was not without the enemy wanting it to be stopped, clearly. And you guys went through an experience three months after getting married. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yes. Um, you know, we, as Christians, we know that there will be warfare, spiritual, physical, and emotional warfare. Mm-hmm. But um, Daniel and I never expected it to hit us in such a way that really encompasses all three of those to the max, literally um, yeah, to the max. Um, we were so we had just signed a, a two-year lease on a house in the Philippines, and we had just gotten married. We were ready to go. We had been back in the Philippines for seven weeks after our wedding, wow. and um, w- it was a holiday. It was a beautiful day. We slept late, you know, just ha- had a great day of relaxing. Mm. And we just wanted to go get some lunch. And in the Philippines, um, most people drive scooters. I don't like to say a motorcycle because it's really not. Right. And it's, right. you know, an electric scooter. And so that's just kind of how you zip around town. And so we had a scooter. We, we hopped on our scooter that day. And before we had really gotten more than two miles from our house, we were in a head on collision with an SUV. Mm. And Honestly, I I didn't know that we were going to make it, and I was conscious, Daniel was conscious, but we knew that our injuries were severe enough, and especially in a place with um, not as quality medical care as, let's say, the U.S., we knew that we needed people to pray, and so I, as as quickly as I could, got a hold of my phone and tried to send word back to our parents just to pray for us. And um, What happened? You know, I mean, he,
0: he came out of nowhere and he hit you. And then did he leave? Yes.
1: So he, he basically just turned um, left in front of us after stopping and waiting and putting on his blinker. It was very bizarre the way that it happened. And um, he turned and there was no way we could avoid Um, the collision. And um, then he just stayed in his car. You know, we were trying to get people from the street to come and help us and get an ambulance. And luckily we were near enough to um, our landlord's house that we had someone go and get him and he, just so that he could get us to the hospital the right way. And it, it was just a bizarre um, situation that um, we couldn't have seen coming or we couldn't have avoided. And the person who hit us was known to be involved in drug deals and um, just not a great person to be involved in an accident with. He had kidnapped people in the past. And so we were dealing with spiritual trauma in that sense. Yes. Emotional trauma and physical trauma was a given as well.
0: Because both your legs were broken, or at least one of yours and one of your husband's. I mean, yes. you had injuries that took—I mean, what happened after that? You got to a hospital.
1: Right. So we were in the hospital for five days. Ugh. And after that, we were—and my mom came to help us out, you know. And after that, we, we were advised that we needed to leave the country for our own safety, not just to recover, but because of this guy, he was— apparently mad at us and thought we had—I I don't even know. It doesn't make sense, so it's hard to even explain. But we—so um, we got back to the U.S. and spent 10 months in physical therapy. Oh my and my husband had had a second surgery when he was back. And there was just—it was just incredible to, to, to know that something so—that was such a simple— um, Day turned into this huge obstacle that we had to try to navigate through.
0: It just reminds me so much of um the words of James when he says, "Why do we <clears throat> do not worry about um, or here we say we're going to go about today and do this or that? And we make all these plans, and yet we don't know what a day will bring forth. And that's right. That right there is a lifetime reminder for you both, of we don't know what a day will bring forth. And it also, probably I'm thinking, and you can clarify this, the trauma that you experienced became an avenue for you to connect even more deeply with the kids you were ministering to because now you knew what it felt like to have a flashback or to have nightmares or to be scrambling and trying to find help and no one coming.
1: Exactly. Uh, Yes, I I definitely believe that we were able to identify with just, you know, God had been teaching us so much about trauma, and then to experience your own trauma, Mm. you truly understand how difficult it is to see past the situation and see past um, what you're experiencing. And in But it's, of course, God uses everything for the good of those who love Him. And so we began to see about six to 10 months after the accident, how God was bringing something from this that we Mm -hmm. wouldn't have done. And so in that time, we were able to start our own nonprofit that allowed us um, this platform that we now use to focus on trauma with kids. Um, That is our number one focus. Now it's trauma and the gospel because we know it is such a needed um, area of ministry.
0: Well, trauma colors every single thing. It's not like we can just compartment well, we can compartmentalize it if it's something that we disassociate from, but as we integrate um, the message of Christ and just development overall, that's going to come up. And now it was right in front of you. So he basically, allowed something so traumatic, removed you from what you were doing, which had to feel a little bit defeating, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yet, 10 months
1: later, what came out of that? It it was just amazing to see the beauty from ashes, you know. And we obviously, it took it took a lot longer than that to recover sure. and truly understand. But we can look back now and see how every— Aspect of ministry up to that point and the accident was really how God directed us towards um, our freedom camp that we have now in our curriculum because it, it wouldn't have been built had we not started our own nonprofit and, and it wouldn't have been built had we stayed for those two years of our lease in our house. You know, I mean, there's no way that we could have gotten here without that horrible accident
0: which that is just so that's so perfect because in the reframing ministries department that's really start to finish what happens is some kind of something comes in and hits our lives and we go well now i'm derailed forever but yet it was god taking away every distraction for the better greater purpose of what you do now which are the Freedom Camps. And I can't wait for you to tell everybody about that because I want to go to a Freedom Camp. (laughs) They sound (laughs) fantastic. So outline the curriculum that you did put together for the Freedom Camps that you started when you returned.
1: Right. Okay. So we, um, honestly, God really impressed this upon me in 2013. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of like this idea, this dream that I didn't know what to do with. And So fast forward until now where we've had the experience to really put behind this idea, we built a camp because who doesn't love camp? Right. (laughs) Kids love camp. I remember going to youth camp and just it impacting my life in a way that still lives true today. So we don't claim that healing from trauma happens in a five-day camp, but we do claim that this is an amazing starting point And um, an amazing place to get the children thinking and healing in the right direction. So day one is dealing with their identity and who they believe that they are.
0: Basically, they're in a place where they're somewhat deconstructed, so to speak. And you're starting at the core of who they are as an individual and all your games and all your songs, everything. When you explained it to me, it was like... It all focused on who they are in Christ. Did you write that?
1: I did, and I I say that God just downloaded this to me. <laughs> I, I love don't it. have I don't have the degree in psychology, but I do have the experience in seeing it firsthand, mm-hmm. and and the, what trauma can do to children. And I I really know that it begins with what they believe about themselves. And um, maybe we can talk about this later. What how I found that through Brendy's life. Hmm. Um, But identity on the first day is games and songs. And we even wrote a children's book that kind of every day has a a theme that helps the kids relate to um, what we're trying to bring out of them without them looking at another human or the, the children's book is written about a silkworm just Perfect. to like be something fun for children to relate to and we have stuffed animals as well that they can take home you know a silkworm and, and think about how that story can help them open up hmm. in their own life
0: hmm. so day one's identity day two is on
1: Day two is baggage and that is, we play a lot of fun games on day two
0: hmm.
1: where the children are dealing with heavy things and you know we'll have people come in and teamwork, carry it together and just trying to show them and help them think about what are the things that you're carrying through your life that, that really you don't need to carry hmm. alone and some of them you don't need to carry at all. And that perfectly sets up the third day, which is the gospel. Wow. Now, we, by this point, we have talked about who they think they are, what they're carrying, and then now, who can take it away and what does he say about you? And there's
0: no shame in that. I mean, that takes right. away all the shame. It just says, oh, my goodness, you've got this huge backpack on your back. And guess what? There's someone who can take it and you don't have to live with that for the rest of your life. I bet they do love day three because day two is a lot yes. of hard
1: work. <laughs> it is. It is. And day three is, is just— amazing. And, you know, with the story of the silkworm each day, it just continually helps them understand what we're trying to bring out of them. Mm. And the the silkworm accepts Jesus on day three. And it's just really precious way to to take these kids through the journey. And so day four is all about community and discipleship. How can you work together? You know, there are going to be days when someone's having a hard time with their trauma and maybe another kid is not. And how can we lift one another up? How can we lean on one another? And really, they live in such family-type settings. We want them to use that in the best way possible. Hmm. And day five is about the armor of God. How can we fight against the lies that the enemy will try to throw at you on day six, day seven, You know, many months after camp? How can you fight against and remember the truth that Jesus loves you? He made you. You were created for a purpose.
0: So, I mean, I have so many thoughts running through my head. So the silkworm is their visual and something that they can hold on to. And you said they get to go home with that or they get to have that. And then Mm -hmm. I would imagine because trauma causes us to be so self-protecting, which is a habitual response, the community working together, how do you bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, it is so, that's one of the hardest things that we've tried to teach Mm. children, Mm -hmm. is because they have, they've been taught or not necessarily taught, but they believe, and it might be based on their culture, um, that no one should carry your burdens. Mm that you get through it on your own or look around we're all orphans or we're all street kids hmm. so you know move on don't worry about it don't make anybody else worry about it hmm. and it's really having to train the way that they they think about trauma and the hard things that they go through and let them know no you you we want to help you through this hmm. and you need to help one another because a lot of them missed that those formative years with their parents of when you get hurt you run to your parents you know so yeah. many times at orphanages you get hurt and you run off into a corner and you hide and yep. you cry yep. you don't run to someone so we're trying to change the way that they they view that and to be open and vulnerable to talking about what they've been through that's the number one first step is just be willing to talk about it and you'll find healing in that what's been one of the hardest
0: Um, what individual, not by name, of course, but what experience have you had, which was incredibly hard with someone who had gone through trauma and you were trying to bridge the gap of, of allowing them to talk about it and getting to the place of grief?
1: I, um, it's it's definitely my relationship with Brindy. Mm. Um She and I actually wrote a book about this, and she shared her story. She's very open with the trauma she's been through and her healing process. And you know, years ago, God brought her into my life, and then allowed us to live together and work together and build this organization before before I got married. And um, it was in those years that. I saw trauma at the mm. most raw point that that it happens. Um, yeah. She had lost her mother to, to skin cancer when she was seven. Mm. And her father um, was murdered for mistaken identity when she was 10. And so she had been abandoned twice in her mind. She doesn't, you know, children see that as my mom left me and my dad left me. And then the third time was She was sent to an orphanage, and her siblings were sent to to live with um, relatives. So they got to stay together. So she felt isolated again. Yes, and then you know at this orphanage she was loved, but at that point her trauma was already you know so deep that it it just it takes so many years obviously to work through this. And when she came to live with me, she was eighteen, actually. Wow, and um I, I didn't know what was happening at first but i began to realize that she was struggling with her identity um she was angry at god why did he take my parents why didn't he just take me too hmm. or the things that she would say and you know there were times even when she became suicidal and she would say things like i don't want to be here anymore and which that makes I, total
0: sense i understand yes, i understand I hearing that from someone who has gone through horrific trauma. Yes. Now, um, while we're on the topic of it, what what are some practical ways that people, because I want to help equip people to recognize trauma in kids? What are some symptoms? What are some things that we need to notice? What are some things that possibly can be our first response?
1: I, From my experience, I would definitely, I noticed it when, They would um, act out, and sometimes some of our kids were violent, Uh you know, for no reason. Then some of our kids would just be super silent and not talk even about their schoolwork. You know, just when you see a behavioral change, um, it's always good to try and first just love on them because Mm. they don't know that—sometimes they don't even know that there's something they're dealing with. And so that's what we would do is just— love on the Mm. kids just to let them know that even when they're acting out, even when they're um, not responding to our questions, that we still love them. Mm. And we know that, you know, whether it takes them a week or a month, they will eventually start to open up. And it's a painful process a lot of times for both sides, because you just want the child to, to accept the love that you're trying to give them. And a lot of times they just push you away and it's it's difficult, but I mean the 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 best advice that I can give for that is just don't give up and don't try to do it on your own. Seek help right. if you're able to seek um, a counselor. That's an amazing option, and if you're not, that's why we've built you know our curriculum and our different tools to help people um, who don't have access to that.
0: Right, and one of the most difficult, which I would think would be. Um, pretty pervasively diagnosed, or one of the diagnoses would be reactive attachment disorder, which we know is um, a child who has been left in isolation or has had to contain their own overwhelming trauma, that it's a self-protective mechanism. It's a way to say, I'm going to act like I hate you, and then you'll go away so I don't have to deal with anything, and especially with what's in me, which mm. is the very place that the Lord wants to heal.
1: Exactly. So through
0: is... repe- repeating, repeating, repeating the camps and the games and the stories and the fun and the cherishing of them brings them to a place then of she's not going anywhere, she's going to stick around.
1: Yes, that's so true. And that is a perfect explanation of exactly what Brindy went through. And there would be so many times when I would tell her, no, I'm not leaving you. And she had a hard time when I um, got married. You know, it felt like at first she felt like I was leaving her and I had to assure her, no, I'm here. I am here just because we're not in the same house. I am here. And it takes a lot longer to build that understanding with a child who's been through trauma.
0: Yes. Um,
1: But it's There, you know, and then another thing we teach in camp is to, like I said, to fight against the lies. And so after they've been through something like camp or read through the the children's book, you can remind the kids, oh, remember what happened to Sill or oh, remember what you learned in camp. That's what's happening right now. Hmm. And we need to work through it. And just to remind them of something like that does help them learn to recognize it when it happens.
0: That's so great. Now, tell us how your how the ministry is connecting with other organizations and with teams that do missions work. Even churches who have a missions program can get the curriculum and take it with them, so they so they have something for the kids. And you're also incorporating incorporating it in churches stateside. Yes, talk
1: about that. So we. Um... You know, God over the years just narrowed our focus down to trauma, and now He is just opening the doors with the many different ways that our curriculum can reach children um, in many different situations. Originally, we were just starting with the camp and reaching children in third world countries, and we had so many churches say, well, we want that. You know, our kids maybe don't struggle with the same types of trauma, but they do struggle with identity issues. And so through that, we created the camp, Freedom Camp, and then we also have a study guide that's kind of like a children's curriculum that a church can use over five Sundays, and then we also have the children's book where a parent can take their child through the, the type of learning that we're trying to teach kids, and all of this is found on our website, and you know, in downloadable form, and there's the stuffed animals. We just have everything there that you might be interested in, whether it's your church, an organization or you as a a parent. Um, And with churches, we even offer trainings where if they wanna take a freedom camp to an orphanage that they've partnered with for many years, it's another program that can really help those organizations. And we wanna make it as easy as possible to really replicate Hmm. this to reach so many children. And the more churches, the more that um, organizations that we have come on board the more we can really reach out, because we just want to equip people who are already doing amazing things. Are you guys only focused
0: on one part of the world, or is this going into all parts of the world?
1: This year, we're actually taking some vision trips to other parts of the world, so we're really excited. Um, It was very um, evident that God wanted to teach us in the Philippines and really give us just deep-rooted insight into Mm. this, but we have a heart for, I mean, I used to have this dream that I wanted to get every child in the world adopted. Oh. And God can do amazing things. And I felt like He put that in my heart. And then when He gave us the vision for this curriculum, He said, in a way, if every child can go through this and understand the gospel mm-hmm. in a personal way, then, we're, then they're adopted, they're in God's family. And so that dream can be a reality if we just continue to reach out and reach these children who feel forgotten and neglected and like they don't matter.
0: Oh, my gosh. I thought of that exact thing when you said, I want to adopt every child in the world. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yes, through this, that's possible because we're adopted by Christ, which is so perfect. I also want to say, as I'm listening to your story, it is a total—I mean, we go through a process—all of us do in the transforming process, and as God is creating and developing us for the purposes that He has that we cannot see, I mean, we need to find support, and we have to renew our commitments. You know, you guys needed support for healing, and then renewing your commitment to to go back and be dedicated, even though— There could be some spiritual um, Mm -hmm. animosity and anger and stalking even from what you all went through. And then you just managing adjustments, learning, okay, this is what did work, but this didn't work. And how incredible for God at the very beginning to bring along a dear friend in Brindy who was right there. That is just so great. Well, Natalie, how can people get a part, become a part of or connect with you and um, get materials should their church or their missions um, organization want to take this to wherever they're headed?
1: Definitely can find anything you want on our website. It's org, And we um, have all of the curriculum there. But more than that, we would love to just talk with you if you don't know what Type of curriculum or what program might work best for you, your family, your organization, or your church, just contact us and connect with us. We um, want to have an ongoing relationship with people who are doing our curriculum and um, are, are training in it because it is a continuing process. And mm-hmm. we will always be there to give more information, more activities, just to keep the, the, the healing process going. And The main thing is we just wanna connect and um, find the best fit for how we can help your organization.
0: That is so incredible. Well, before we take off, how can we be praying for you and your husband as you all move forward and continuing to expand your curriculum, providing tools, equipping people? What is your
1: biggest prayer need? I just, you know, I always want to just be prayerful about or the children who um, God knows every camp that will be done, every um, church that will take their kids through this. And I know how big of an impact that this can have on children. And it's ultimately the gospel. And so that's why we're such in a sense of urgency to to reach children before their trauma is so deep that, mm-hmm. that they're closed off, you know, mm-hmm. or before their addiction is so bad that that you know, it seems like they're unreachable. Yeah. Um, because we we just we saw that there were so many kids who felt forgotten that we just couldn't sit back and not do anything about it. And so I think that's just the main thing. It's just we're praying for open doors. We're mm-hmm. praying to really multiply our curriculum out into the world. Um, we've said from the beginning, this is not about us. It's not about how many camps can we do. It's how many kids can we reach? And that's our goal. And so I think our prayer is just for the children and just for open doors to be able to get this out to them hmm. and, and reach the children who um, God loves so much and wants to, to save.
0: And you can, or anyone can find your story that you wrote through the book, The Forgotten Ones. Is that through your site or wherever yes. people want to buy books?
1: It's available on Amazon. It's available on ellipsisinternational.org or my personal website is natalie Um, And it is a beautiful story. Brendy wrote almost half of it herself. Wow. Um, and I translated it. And it, she's just, you don't, it's hard to understand what these kids have really been through. Yeah. But somehow God allowed her to communicate that. And it is just so eye opening. And the way it's written is intermingled with my own words, and we didn't talk while we were writing this, so that we would have her perspective and my perspective and see if they match up. And it's it's incredible how they did. And um, God just painted a beautiful story through her life, and um, she's doing great now and is about to finish her degree in social work in college. So, so fantastic!
0: Yes. Here's a gal who just wanted to die and had so much loss, and now she's getting her degree in social work and heading up some of the international parts of the ministry.
1: Yes. She uh, she doesn't even realize, I think, how big of a leader that she will be in yeah. the next few years. God has big plans for her.
0: Well, He obviously has big plans for you, for her, and for you who have been so attentive and listening to Natalie Harrington, who is the founder of Ellipsis International. And um, Natalie, thank you for sharing your story with us. I want to encourage everyone who has listened to check it out. Natalie, thank you for your time with us today. I so appreciate it. And I will be um, in prayer for you and all that you all are doing for healing and the armor of God for protection, because that's going to be—the enemy just doesn't want it to happen. But God's bigger, so He's going to have it happen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Thanks again. I am so glad I was able to spend this time with you and with Natalie. I hope you found her story encouraging and uplifting. You can connect with Natalie at her site, nataliestevensherrington.com. She's also the founder of Ellipses International, where you can find her book, her blog, and all the other resources that she has. I would also love to connect with you. Please connect at reframingministries at insight.org as an email. You can find me on social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, and all of the other ones. I would so appreciate if you would spend just a few moments to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. Please help me share the words of help and hope to those who are struggling with others. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries. Until next time, remember, your best life is yet to come.